0: Welcome to The Mindful Apprentice, brought to you by Swindon and Wiltshire Institute of Technology. In this podcast series, we want to share stories and information to help everyone make the apprenticeship a success, whether you're an employer or the apprentice. We've interviewed a wide range of apprentices, employers, specialists, charities, and clinicians to make this series. Wherever you're listening, we hope you'll find it helpful. Hello, I'm Dominic Arkwright. In this programme, another inspirational story.
1: Meg Ginsburg, an apprentice project manager um, at Southwest Water.
0: And this is how she became an apprentice.
1: I actually had quite a few friends that went straight into apprenticeships um, after sixth form. Um, so they'd always sort of been on my radar and I was very lucky to have a school that promoted them and gave us some sort of correct education and information at the time where we could then make a, an informed decision between the university university, the apprenticeship route, or if you wanted to obviously um, go sort of straight into work or take some time out. So they'd always sort of been in the back of my head. I did have quite, uh, how should I put it, uh, um, traditional parents who very much saw um, university as a sort of only option and you must get your degree so I sort of said okay well I'll I'll go do nursing it's a good profession so I started my nursing degree um, which was four years doing mental health and adult nursing and then it was a sort of a combined master's within all of that and then it was actually just due to sort of medical complications that I had to withdraw because I could no longer do the shift work on my feet um, and then I started using crutches and now I'm in a wheelchair so um Nursing, sadly, wasn't really the sort of viable option. And that's when I started working for the ambulance service, taking 9 calls, 9 um, calls, which I, I did love. And I learned a lot about myself, everyone around me, um, but wasn't the profession I could really grow in and push my education forward. So that's when I thought I need something that will pay me while I train. I've got a three-year-old, Oliver um, well, Oliver's a bit younger at the time. So an apprenticeship would work perfectly, I'd have a bit more support as I'm going through and that's when I sort of um, looked into what was available at the time and that's when I sort of thought project management, I like to be a bit bossy sometimes so um, that sort of ticks that characteristic. Engineering is something that I a lot of my friends do um, so I have a bit of interest in, a slight bit of background knowledge, not much but enough spark to be able to really sort of absorb and want to learn more from sort of colleagues around me. So that's how I got into it, really.
0: But Meg Ginsburg didn't just fall into her apprenticeship, she prepared for it.
1: I very much did a lot of background information into the actual organisation, um, whether it was environmental factors that obviously are a constant challenge to deal with or... The sort of changing laws and um, how the movement of um, this profession is sort of going as well, whether that's not just obviously engineering, but project management in itself. But most importantly, I recognised my transferable skills and was just myself in the interview. I think for submission, I just did a CV. I don't think I had to do any sort of additional words. So that was quite easy. A lot of them are easy. It's very sort of quick online. So I'd always recommend applying for a few, just so you have some options. And then when it actually came to the interview, just making sure you're honest, and they really just need to show the sort of the eagerness and the want to learn. And in a team, they will be your future colleagues. Potentially, those people who are interviewing you. So, if you come into that interview open, honest, and really drawing upon. Every sort of experience and journey that you've been on, it doesn't always have to be positive. But what have you learned from that? Why has it shaped you into who you are now? And that's just really important um, just to show yourself, really. But you won't always get them. You will have negative, you know, no's rejections. um, And it's just you have to keep going, being resilient. If you're getting all these no's and the rejections, it, it does emotionally take a lot out of you. Um, but if you can fight that sort of, the darts, you know, the more depressing thoughts and say, no, actually, I, I am worth this job, I can get this, then when you do, that is the best feeling in the world and it will mean so much more when you've actually had to fight for it.
0: And now Meg's an apprenticeship ambassador, spreading the word around schools in the southwest.
1: The one thing I always say when I speak at schools is work experience is the biggest biggest thing you can do to help you with your career. Reach out to companies, even if they don't have degree apprenticeships or any other level of apprenticeship that are sort of showing at the moment. If you reach out to a particular team that you're interested in, get yourself known, really be different. Um, Even if it's just a tour around their premises or could you please tell me a bit more about this project that you've worked on? That is all the sort of curiosity and like I said before, it's that wanting to learn that they want to see. And if you get a week's placement there for work experience as a year 10, that could potentially be your future team. They could be your future colleagues. So that will make you stand out because not everyone does that. Um, and I know a lot of friends who've actually had job offers straight away from the work experience.
0: And here's Meg's advice on how to make a success of it once you start.
1: I always say LinkedIn as well as your best friend if you're trying to learn colleagues' names and, you know, what they actually do within the organisation. Because if you connect with them once you've met them, that obviously reminds you of their name. But also you can have a look at their experience. So make yourself known, say hello to everyone, but continue to ask the questions, um, even if it's silly ones. Just try and build those relationships and get to know people because they're the ones that will really, really help you no matter what as you go on through your apprenticeship journey and also then as you start your sort of uh, career onwards.
0: Because there will be challenges.
1: It is making sure that you have the support network there ready because you will come home tired um, if you don't necessarily have anyone checking in on you, that can be really lonely, especially when you haven't sort of created those professional relationships or even sort of friendships within your college groups yet. And just try and get into a routine, really. It's something that as you learn and grow within your position in your apprenticeship, your roles and duties will inevitably change. You will find your feet and that will help with the sort of rhythm of the week. But it is so important that you look after yourself you have the exercise you have the social side um, and you make sure people know that if you are unhappy if you're struggling you save from a very early stage um, because like I said it is a big step up and it's tiring and working eight till four or nine till five coming home especially in the winter when it's dark it's just a big way even for your body just to adapt it's a lot um, to happen at once. So just make sure you've got support networks in place if you can and just be honest with your line manager.
0: And Meg Ginsburg has her ups and downs.
1: I've struggled with um, anxiety and depression for um, a good few years now. And I also say my antidepressants um, are exercise. So for me, when I sort of talk about your routine within work, I also mean the weekends and I mean the evenings and I mean factoring that time to yourself whether that's going out for a run or as I call it in my wheelchair a push um, or if that's joining a local club because there will be people moving to different um, towns cities for these apprenticeships and you might not know anyone at all um, and I did that transition when I moved to sit form I knew no one down in Devon and local clubs are the best way to meet people especially with a sh- shared interest so I always say Even if you don't like exercise, whether it's a knitting group, a choir, um, just any sort of a hobby in a way that gets you out the house and is separate from your job is really important. It just allows you to switch off um, and it also makes, makes you remember that your work isn't your life. You know, you're working to live, you're not living to work. So having that balance is is really, really important. Within that, scheduling in to see family and friends, I always think is sort of the best thing that, you know, you need. It's difficult if a lot of your friends do go to university. So, for example, my sort of four key best friends all went to different universities across um, the country. And that's difficult. But you've got to remember, even if you went to university or a different sort of career route, they'd still be going there anyway. So you just have to find your own new group of friends. Um, and as you sort of get older, that naturally happens anyway. But it is difficult. Um, Organisations will have support, whether that's through um, occupational health. Um, I know they do mental health referrals, for example, at Southwest Water. Um, there's a 24-7 um, sort of hotline you can call. So they're sort of more, um, I guess, a sort of traditional structural support networks Um, but it is also talking to your colleagues as well people aren't able to help if they don't know and if you can just find one trusted person in your team at least they're aware and they can keep an eye on you because there are times that you don't know you need help in a way you need to take the first step and be brave and be honest about what's happening and then like i said it's the communities it's realizing that there are other people in your team or departments that have similar experiences
0: but meg has another issue both in the workplace and out of it because as we've heard she's in a wheelchair
1: i started work after my um, second operation on crutches and then my physical state in a way got worse and then therefore i used my wheelchair so even then I was very sort of sheltered and quite protective of what I told people and when people asked oh what happened to you I did feel very uncomfortable at the start so I can talk about experiences within the workplace which I'll start with but I also have experience obviously in the outside world or even just going to college or um, even going out clubbing as a wheelchair user the reactions you get are completely different Um, but I'll, I'll sort of focus on work so I think the biggest one for me, um, I always sort of use it as an example because it's something that's really stuck in my head. Um, And I was at a conference talking about NEC contracts and I went up to um, one of the speakers and I said to him, "Oh, could you explain a bit more about this, please, because we're doing it in our college work. And I think I'd only been at the company for a few months at that time. And the first thing he did was he sat down so that we were eye level. And that made such a difference because... He didn't need to say anything about it. He just did it. And the conversation was just natural. Um, it was normal. There was, there was no sort of expl- explanation needed. It was his natural reaction to get eye level and so that I'd feel comfortable. And when you're used to having 90% of your conversations with your neck sort of whipped back, to have someone who just understands was a huge thing um, and I, I'll also always sort of thank him for it because it made me realize that it can be that easy. Um, you get people who will physically jump out of your way in the corridors at work because they don't know how to, how to react or They'll do the classic jokes of um um oh, I'll mind my toes or um oh wow, they've got driving license for that in. There's the standard and very stereotypical jokes that weirdly a lot of people do make um, and I think for some people who have disabilities the natural reaction is to sort of go along with it, laugh, try and make people feel more comfortable but you don't owe them that, you don't need to make them feel comfortable because that's not your place, you are just you, you are just existing in that moment. There will always be people who don't understand and there will be people who ask, which again, depending on the person. For me, I'd rather you ask. Um, I'm not going to tell you my medical history um, unless, for example, you are my doctor it's needed with. Um, You don't need to know if you work on reception. You don't need to know if we're having a cup of tea. So I think setting yourself limits is really important, but you can't control people's reactions. And that's something that's really important. You can't control what someone's going to say to you or do to you. Or... I've had people move me in my chair before. I've had people just sort of tilt you back. I mean, there's so many things that you think, how did you ever think that was the correct thing to do? Or why? Why would you even think of doing that? So it's making sure that, obviously, firstly, you're safe around people. Um, but it's also that you. it's hard to do. I still struggle myself. It's that you have the confidence to say, I don't feel comfortable talking about that or um, can you not do that please or even just ignoring the comments you create a shield for yourself because it does happen so much um, and I think that's a natural response and that's not a bad thing either it can be actually quite a good thing if you have one phrase that you oh what happened to you oh I've just had operations and they haven't worked full stop I mean you don't even know them that but if you do want to say something having this sort of phrase um, is quite handy but yeah, it, it's very difficult. It's, I mean, when I go to site, it's a whole, you know, when you meet ops and contractors and it's very, very rare, let's just say, to have a female on site, let alone a female in a wheelchair. So you're always going to have a different uh, interaction with them anyway. So like I said, you just have to continue being yourself and just, in a way, get on with it and educate them if you can. Say that's not appropriate say, or if you have the confidence, which is hard, but just keep doing your job and you can't control other people so but you can control yourself and you can remember that learning is a big thing for people kindness helps with that so if you can say to someone actually this is usually what you'd for example call someone in a wheelchair or if we don't use that language because of this that's helpful that's educational um, and that's what people need to, to sort of snap them out of their old ways or their misconceptions of how you should treat someone who's disabled
0: and how should you
1: it's a really difficult one to answer to be honest because it completely depends on the person it completely depends on um whether you have a a visible or non-visible disability there's there's so much um but firstly be kind there's always you, you don't need to make comments or remarks. you don't need to do that um You don't always have to ask. I know I mentioned you can earlier. Like I said, I would always prefer someone to ask, but it is very tiring having people constantly um, asking for what is right or what do you need because a lot of the time it is just simple. We are humans. You know, just talk to us like you would anyone else. So,
0: finally, what advice does Meg have for disabled people thinking of starting an apprenticeship?
1: Apprenticeships aren't necessarily always looked upon as a natural career step, but they actually make quite a lot of sense. So, for example, I need help day to day cooking, cleaning, etc. I am used to having help. I'm used to having support. If you go to university, they will always have systems in place to cover that. But it's not necessarily the same in, in the sense that I mean you are still very much the ones pushing for that change and pushing for that support if you did an apprenticeship if you think you not only have your college or educational sort of provider that are uh, taking you through the actual qualifications who have a duty to look after you to check in uh, they have well-being officers themselves they have tutors that are trained so that's just one side of things you then have the organizational structure who again, like I said, they have these processes in place already a lot of the time. They have the governance, they have um, the expertise. So again, you have a whole other framework. You then have your colleagues who see you most days. They get to know you, they know how to help. And then you also have the fact that a lot of the time, if you are doing an apprenticeship, you'll still be either living at home or close to home. So you still have your friends and family, usually. Usually a lot more accessible to you so never close yourself off to further education apprenticeships might seem daunting and they they are for some people but what I'm trying to sort of say is apprenticeships are open to all there are um, apprenticeship networks out there so I'm a southwest apprentice ambassador or and they have a a specific disabled network as well and for those who sort of want own stories or personal experiences shared the opportunities are there um, and just go for it. So I really just would say, if, if you are disabled apprenticeships, I really would advise you to look into them as an option. Um, and that's at any age as well, not just coming in from school.
0: So Meg Ginsberg has overcome difficulties both with her physical and mental health and come out on top as a successful apprentice at South West Water. I hope you found her story an inspiration. I'm Dominic Arkwright. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Mindful Apprentice. We hope you found something in it which was helpful to you or perhaps a colleague or friend, whether you're a new starter or a seasoned professional. If you've been affected by anything you've heard in the podcast or want to find out more about organisations which can provide help and support, go to sawiot.ac.uk forward slash The Mindful Apprentice.